0: world wrestling federation superstar duke the dumpster drossy and you are watching and listening to perched
1: on the top rope welcome everyone to perched on the top rope it's me it's me it's the long island iced lee i've got my co-host beside me the to double d and as you heard from that opener we have duke the dumpster drossy duke how you doing today brother i'm doing Thanks for having me, brother. Hey, absolutely. Um, so so just a, a, a brief rundown. Uh, what got you in pro wrestling, and uh, how'd you end up signing with WWF? Uh,
0: I was a fan. I grew up down in Florida. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and uh, I was a fan of professional wrestling growing up. I watched championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley. Um, you know, the likes of Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, Blackjack Mulligan, and Later on, Lex Luger and all them guys, I uh, used to watch them every week. Um, didn't really have access early on to the WWF stuff, the World Wrestling Federation stuff. But um, then something happened and WrestleMania 1 came along when I was in high school. And uh, me and my dad went and watched it on a closed circuit television at a arena in Miami at the uh, Miami Beach Convention Center. And we watched WrestleMania 1, and uh, that was the moment I knew I wanted to get into wrestling and be a professional wrestler. Uh,
2: So I started out of high school. I started training when I was still in
0: high school, and uh, worked with a guy named Bobby Wales that trained me, and was going to college at the University of Miami and doing independent shows in Florida on the side, and kind of working my way through that when I graduated, college I was going to kind of travel the country and try to find a job in one of the territories that was still in existence because there wasn't many and then I heard that Vince McMahon was at a local TV executive convention at the same at the Miami Beach Convention Center and um, so instead of driving all over the country I just kind of crashed that convention and I walked in I got some credentials from somebody that was a friend of mine that was a tv executive and i wore a suit and i walked in and walked right up to vince mcmahon shook his hand and told him i wanted to work for him and i had one of my promo packages with a tape and a resume and pictures and uh he asked me a few questions and then i was out of there and they had jj Dillon call me probably about a week later
1: Oh, awesome.
2: That's actually, it's, it's insane because, you know, you hear from a lot of the guys in the business now that there's so much more that goes into, you know, the process to joining WWE nowadays. You know, the guy's got to go through, like, you know, 10, 12 different people. But, you know, it was you were lucky enough to actually just walk up to him, shake his hand, and, you know, you got a call the next week. It's pretty cool.
0: As far as I know, I'm probably one of only two people that walked up to Vince McMahon to get a job. It was me... And the other one was Oscar, the rapper from Men on a Mission. Uh, he rapped to Vince in an elevator. Hmm. Um, but I think after that, they started having more people around Vince and protecting him from anybody walking up to him and just asking for a job. So,
2: Probably I'm a sure. smart idea. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, this is a question I like to ask anyone who worked around uh, this time period in WWF. Any Owen Hart rib stories?
0: There were so many Owen Hart ribs. I've often told the story about when I first got there, I when I first got there, um, I remember I was rooming by myself and it was the middle of the night, it was probably like two in the morning and we were, we had to be on a plane early for the next loop, we had to fly out and uh, I got a phone call in my hotel room in the middle of the night and it was this voice. It was telling me that they were from Domino's Pizza and they wanted to share with me all these wonderful specials they had just for that particular hotel. And, uh, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous. I'm like, why you, why are you bothering me in the middle of the night? And I hung up and then they called back and they said, I'm just trying to make a living and feed my kids And I, I would like for you to listen to these pizza specials. And I sat here arguing with this person about a pizza anyway. So the next day, apparently it was Owen Hart, and he brought a, you know, one of the old school type telephone voicemail machines with a little cassette, and he hooked it up to his hotel room phone and recorded the whole thing and played it for the boys in the locker room, and this whole conversation of me and him arguing over a pizza. And that's when I realized he was the prankster of the bunch, and uh, and I, through the years, I I saw and heard so many ribs, but he was always was always harmless ribs with Owen. He was just such a funny guy. One of the biggest things Owen always did, always, 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 if you ever had a match with him in any capacity, whether it was a one-on-one, a tag match, or in a rumble-type uh, battle royal, he was always going to do something to try and make you and the referee and everybody else laugh. Always, always, always. You know you had to look out for it. Um, so, it was always fun to work with owen and i always say this too he was a quality individual one of very few in that business um uh, one of very few that i could probably count on one hand that was loyal to his wife and kids and didn't do drugs and he was just a good person and he tried to help other people so owen was a great guy and a great river <laughs>
2: yeah. um I, a couple things that i wanted to ask you personally because uh, you know I've i've seen from reading and researching on your career there's a lot of really cool points I've noticed. Um, I, I don't know how you're open you are to talking about it, but the, uh, the Jerry the Lawler rivalry. I yeah, it was
0: right at the gate. The first thing I did when I got there, they, they, they opened up with that. It was my very first TV match was on Superstars versus a guy named Mike Bell.
2: Mm-hmm. And as
0: I went to the ring, they had the idea they wanted me to push like a little dumpster to the ring. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went wheeling this thing out And uh, standing on the side there when I came out the curtain was Jerry Lawler, like with a microphone, like he was going to interview me. And I walked up to be interviewed and tried to be respectful. And uh, he made a joke out of it and put a clothespin on his nose and started laughing at me like I stunk. So I had a garbage can inside the little dumpster. I pulled it out and it had garbage in it and I just dumped it over his head. That was the beginning of the angle. Right. Anyway, fast forward to the next Monday Night Raw live Monday Night Raw and um, they had me on King's Court. He mm-hmm. was gonna interview me and talk to me about that, how I dumped the garbage on him. He wouldn't let me in the ring because I stunk too much. He wouldn't let me talk hardly. And so I finally said, that's it, I'm leaving. And he was supposed to run up behind me and attack me and that was gonna build up the heat for the angle. Well, before we went out, Jerry asked me if he could hit me in the head with my own garbage can. Right. Um, And I said, yeah, I was all for it. Because I knew, I knew, you know, I came from Florida. You know, that's great heat. Oh, yeah. Um, So we went and asked Jack Lanza, who was the agent for that match or for that segment. And he just said, it's live TV, man. Go ahead and do it. (laughs) So I was like, okay, because I didn't know any better. So we went out there and did it. He hit me with the can. And the crowd was just like, ooh, And immediately the camera angle shoots back to a camera way across the arena. You can't see it anymore. It shows one hit, and then it cuts away. And, uh, I mean, all you can see is the can going up and down. Anyway, they freaked out. They freaked out. It was too violent for them because it was still considered family entertainment. That was like the original PG era. Right. You know, coming off the tails of Hulk Hogan and all those people. It was still for kids. And they came out, they had uh, uh, Macho Man and Gorilla Monsoon were doing the commentary for Raw at that time. They came back on live and apologized up and down for it, said you'd never see something like that on their TV again. So automatically, they're killing the heat. They're killing it. And then they record for Superstar, they had a show which was called Superstars. They record Jerry Lawler being made to apologize at the studio. And he was, you know, and it was kind of a comedy thing, but he had to apologize for attacking me with at the garbage can because it was too violent. And that was just basically killing any heat that we had. So we took what could have been a major angle mm-hmm. and uh, they just dumped ice water on it. And we didn't even get a pay-per-view match out of it. I think we ended up doing the blow-off at another Monday Night Raw where doink could dink the clowns got involved and that was it. Right. So, it could have been great, I didn't know any better. I was fresh off the you know truck there. I was brand new in the in the company and my very first angle, I got heat because I went out there and did something that was considered too violent for their television
2: right and and that that's a, that is unfortunate, but at the same time uh I think that is when a lot of people think about you. that's one of the first big things they think about too in that angle specifically, I feel like had it not been for an angle like that you may have never seen like the hardcore title come to you know prominence or wwe's version of the 24 7 title now so i personally think you had a lot of influence on the generations to come because of that moment
0: well i appreciate you saying that i know a lot of people say that was probably one of the first instances of actual kind of a hardcore situation taking place on tv um and yeah after that you know slowly but surely you start seeing like the ECW's pop up and people yep. with pans and garbage cans and everything else hitting each other. So, um, yeah, I think maybe it uh, was. I think another one you look back on, if you think of it that way, was the coconut with the uh, oh, yeah.
2: rowdy S- Piper. S-Roddy S-Roddy Piper and Snuka, Yeah,
0: that and I was like, that was shocking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, afterwards they then they started having dumpster matches and stuff after I was gone. But yeah, so it was interesting.
1: You know, and speaking of Lawler, um, Bastion and Booger was on the announce team. It didn't last long, and you kind of had like a tryout. And, and I, I listened to the interview with uh, Hannibal TV where you talked about it, and um, even posted about it on Facebook. You go to the tryout, and you were doing what you were supposed—you thought you were supposed to be doing—which is color commentary, commenting on the matches and stuff. And then Vince kind of said, hey, you're doing my part. Uh, what was said after, um, was anything said to you after the tryout?
0: No, uh, I just kept, what, what had happened was, is I, they didn't really tell me anything. They just said, we need you to come here. And uh, they told me I was going to be trying out for some kind of an interview spot. <laughs> I think that's the way they put it. Anyway, I got there and I didn't know. And I uh, I get there and I find out it's for Raw and I'm gonna be doing it with Vince. And um, actually what they wanted me to do is they wanted me to do color and I didn't know the difference between color and straight. And uh, you know, Vince was the straight commentator at the time. You can call the action. And uh, so I jumped in and we started doing it and i am immediately calling spots like a straight commentator. And he said, you're stepping all over me. You're (laughs) doing my spots. And I was like, I didn't know what he was talking about. So it was bad from the beginning. And uh, you could tell it turned to, to, he was turned off to it at that point. And I still tried and we did some things and we messed with it. And I even got them to let me come back to the studio on different occasions and work at one point I got to sit down and work with Gorilla Monsoon. And I had a blast. Um, I think I may have even got to do it with Jim Ross at some point. Um, I think he was there, uh, but not doing commentary yet. But um, yeah, it was just one of those, it, You know, you figure if they would have just given me a little bit more information, you know, they keep things guarded and very close to the chest, and if they would have just given me some more information, I could have been better prepared, and it would have been a different story. But that's just kind of the way it turned out. I learned, you know, a hard lesson.
2: All right, right on. Um, Another thing I wanted to cover with you, I feel like one of the bigger points in your career was your rivalry with Triple H. Um... Fun fact: I researching myself. I never knew this. You actually handed Triple H's first career loss
1: as a singles competitor.
2: Yeah, yeah that's a big point everybody makes. Uh, I never knew all. that until I was looking this up.
0: <laughs> yeah, we did that free for all match, and uh, it was to determine who was going to be number one and number thirty in the Royal Rumble. And uh, and he, what happened is he hit me with brass knuckles. Mm-hmm. And he won, and then Gorilla Monsoon, who was the president at the time, came out and reversed the decision, so I won by disqualification. Because Lord knows I never pinned anybody. But um, that's how that went down. And um, then, of course, that pissed him off, so he jumped me on the next taping of Superstars and cut my hair and all that stuff. Um, But it was just interesting, because then we jumped fast forward to the actual match we had uh It was at in your house. Mm-hmm. We wrestled each other, and in the end, he hit me with the garbage can lid and pinned me. And I was always, yeah, I didn't like the finish, mm-hmm. and I got I a lot of shit from Vince over that. But I, it didn't make sense to me because why would Gorilla Monsoon come out at the pre-pro? If a Gorilla Monsoon wouldn't come out at the in your house, and they didn't care, they just they just. They gave me that match because my contract was renewing and I was, and it's just a funny story that's related is, they were killing me on TV before my contract was up, my first two-year contract. Yeah. They were just, they weren't putting me on TV, they weren't putting me on the road and I was like dying there, you know, this horrible death. And one day I came in and they wanted me to work with this new guy called the Ringmaster and my contract was up pretty much, it was about up and I, refused to do the job for who would obviously later be known as Stone Cold Steve Austin which we (laughs) laugh about even to this day but um, I kind of stood my ground and said no and uh, they were they couldn't believe it but they you know they gave me the Triple H deal to kind of make me happy so that I would re-sign for a new one year deal and then they put me right back to killing me and uh but I sat down with Steve that day, you know, right when it happened, and I explained to him why. And he told me he completely understood, and we became very good friends from that day on. But um, yeah, it was just interesting how it came about. You know, my whole thing was I wanted to turn heel. They were talking about turning me heel. I wanted to change my appearance, which is why we came up with the haircutting idea. Mm-hmm. You know, cut my hair off, change my appearance, change it. I was going to try to get away from the dumpster gimmick. And, they agreed with all that shit. They agreed with everything. They're, yeah, 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 of course, of course. You know, Vince says you yeah had everything, and then they don't do it. They don't right. do any of it. They just um, kind of made me lose and, in your house. And then I went back to putting over any of the new heels that came in. So that's kind of how that went down.
2: It's kind of ironic, too, that, you know, Steve Austin was the one that you said that you didn't want to put over in that one instance, too, because he had a similar situation. With Brock Lesnar later on in his career, that's almost exactly the same situation as yours, where he didn't feel it was the right time to put him over, or he wasn't the guy, or whatever. But um, going back to not wanting to put him over in that specific situation, I've I've heard that Bret Hart had a lot of influence on you, you know you in that situation. It, do you still talk to Bret Hart? What's your guys' relationship like today?
0: I don't know. I, I don't talk to Bret. I haven't talked to him in a long, long, long time. Um... Yeah, he, I think sometimes he was winding me, and we were riding together at the time, which was kind of unheard of, because nobody rode with Bret Hart, but I was, I asked him one day for advice, if he let me ride with him, but in this situation, you know, he knew I was frustrated, and uh, we were sitting in the locker room, and he said, he said, I'd refuse to do it, and I was just like, oh, well, he's saying it, so I guess I'm going to refuse to do it, and I went in and talked to Bruce Pritchard and basically refused to do it, and um, But it was very important, Uh, and Fatu came up to me, Rikishi, he was Fatu that, and he said, you need to go talk to Steve. Mm -hmm. And I went and sat down with Steve and explained, I said, listen, this has nothing to do with you at all. I said, they've been killing me for a long time, and this is the situation where i got to take a stand, and it has nothing to do with you. And uh, he totally understood. Um, It was not a situation of me not wanting to put him over, it was just a situation where they were killing me. And... You know, they were just feeding me to everybody, and uh, it was an opportunity for me to take a stand because, like I said, my contract was up. And uh, I didn't have very much clout, but they didn't want to completely lose me either because also I owned the Garbage Man gimmick. I just oh, okay. didn't own the name. I was the Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar, so the likeness and everything mm-hmm. was all the same, and it was mine. Um So, I mean, I could have been a garbage man in WCW just as easily if they would have ever wanted that. But I don't know, maybe they looked at it that way, or maybe they just didn't want to lose me because they invested money in me, a little bit of money in me up to that point. And uh, that's kind of how it went down. But like I said, me and Austin became great friends, and we started riding together after that. And uh, it was just freaking, we laugh about it now, you know.
1: Right. All right, yeah. You know, you speak of, you know, with with WCW, you know, when everything was up in 96 with WWF. Uh, how come there, you know, was there any talks of going to WCW or, or ECW or?
0: Um, I was not interested at that time in going to ECW because those uh, of us in the WWF looked at ECW as something that was not real wrestling. Um, and it, that's just kind of the way we looked at it then. But the thing about it is, if I was smart, I could have went there and worked and did what Steve Austin did or did what Cactus Jack did and upped my uh, value. And I wouldn't have to do all the crazy hardcore stuff. I could do some, but that's not the way I looked at it. I think I was, uh, I don't know. We just didn't look at it as, a, I didn't look at it as a viable option. Now, WCW, on the other hand, I did try to go there. And it's funny because... I lived in Florida, and they were taping their shows in Orlando, and uh, one day, I just showed up at a TV taping for Nitro in a suit, and it was funny, because a lot of people were very nice to me, because they thought somebody brought me in, all these people, like the Big Show was very nice to me, he was a giant then, but... He was very nice to me. He came, hey man, we have a mutual friend you wrestled with, Hunter, da, da, da. He's saying all this stuff, being so nice and gracious. A couple days later, guys realized nobody brought me in. (laughs) (laughs) And everybody changed. All of a sudden, nobody's friendly anymore. It was just so weird the way they act. You know, they think if somebody brought you in that there could be something going on and they want to align themselves with you, but then they realized... No, I just walked my happy ass in the back in the freaking locker room and tried to get a job. And basically I talked to J.J. Dillon, and they eventually brought me in and uh, gave me a dark match tryout, which it didn't go all that well. I mean, it was okay, but I wrestled a guy that was pretty stiff and, and didn't move well, and it kind of threw me off, and I just wasn't in a good place anyway, and it just didn't work out. And I don't think Bischoff was interested in Duke the Dumpster, so that's kind of how it worked out. But I did try for WCW
2: it's funny that you talk about you know the the atmosphere backstage and how those guys were you know a little different to you afterwards speaking of backstage atmosphere i know you had your issues with the click when you were in the uh, wWF uh, triple h specifically you know has your has your opinion changed on him since because I know a lot of people say he's he's a much different person nowadays now that he's up in the nXt and all of that and you know he's not the same exact person that he used to be uh do you have any different opinions on him now what he's doing with the nxt brand or his career personally or well i i
0: I never had any major issues with the click per se i i've always said this they were very arrogant as a group but if you hung out with those guys individually they were cool dudes right um even even hunter he didn't party or drink or do none of that stuff but um, he was very cool and he was great to work with. Hunter was always willing to do anything. I threw his ass all over the place and he took every bit of it and didn't complain at all. Um, I'm sure he took a beating when he wrestled me. Um, but he didn't, he, he didn't complain at all. He went with it. It was good. Our matches were good. Um, I, you know, d- during the time I was there, during when things were happening and my, career was falling apart and I started using a bunch of drugs I was pissed off at the world like so many people get bitter in some ways I was bitter at them I saw them as the enemy but as I got away from the business years later and I looked back I realized those guys were just doing their thing and and I had to respect the fact that they did they loved the business and they respected the business and yeah they were out for themselves but you know anybody in this business is um, and if you want to get yourself over, there are ways to do it. You can up your stock. I always say that. You know, I mean, The Rock, look at him, man. When he was rocking my via, he was dying a slow death. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, things changed. He just changed, and he started doing things differently. And he started writing things down and really studying the business. And uh, that's what those guys in the clique did, man. Right. They studied the business. They talked about wrestling all the time. Um, and I have to respect that um, if anybody was going to rise to the heights the AAA, Triple H was the guy um, like I said he didn't party or do anything crazy Vince knew he could trust that guy um, he wasn't going to freak out and go off and get high or do anything stupid like so many other wrestlers did um, he knew he could trust him and that's probably why that went down um, and of course him and Stephanie getting married and all that stuff But <laughs> right But, I mean, I think he's doing great things. Uh, From what I can see, I don't watch a lot of wrestling, but um, from what I hear and what I see, uh, NXT is probably doing... It's looked at more favorably by fans than the actual WWE content content is. So, um, you know, Triple H is doing good things. And uh, he always loved and respected the business, Mm -hmm. and it shows.
1: Yeah. Um, I found this part interesting because... Uh, you were done with WWF in 96, but you had two dark matches in 1998. How were you brought back, and uh, in, in what happened? Because it was just the two the two matches on uh, WWF yeah. Shotgun.
0: Yeah, it was around the same time as I had the tryout for WCW. I, had a, I was calling WWF, talking to Bruce Pritchard and uh, they had agreed to bring me back in and let me have a tryout. I had to try out again. So I had a tryout match, one with Paul Diamond, and two uh, against Pierre, the Corbecker, uh now PCO, mm-hmm. who is a friend of mine also, uh, a great guy to work with. But um, it was just interesting. A lot of weird things happened during that time. Um, you know, I asked two people for advice. See, I had both those tryouts pretty close, the WWF and the WCW. And Bret Hart told me to do both. He was in WCW at that point. He said, do both. That's good business. And then Austin said, you better pick one because these are vindictive people. You better choose the one you want to go to and just do that one. Mm-hmm. Well, I took the wrong advice. I took Bret's. So I did both. And I think I pissed both of them off. And neither of them brought me back in. Um, so, you know, that was just kind of how that worked out. Um, and, yeah, that was it. I think after that, I kind of just spun out of control and I was doing drugs and all this stupid shit anyway. So I just kind of went, fell off the edge of the earth for a while.
2: Right. Um, speaking of Pierre, because you know I didn't know that one of your dark matches was actually against him, him being one of your close friends, how do you feel about the complete resurgence in career for PCL leading up to that Ring of Honor World Title win? Well,
0: if anybody deserves it, it's him. He's always been one of the hardest workers on, uh, on the roster. Um, we used to tear the house down, and we were, were fricking first or second match, and it pissed everybody else off because we'd go out there and do everything. And uh, they didn't like it, but it was tough shit because we were going to do it because Pierre wanted to do it, and I wanted to do it. <laughs> so right. that's kind of how it worked. Um, he still does crazy shit. He's 50-something years old. Um, he deserves it because he got screwed over in his business a lot back in the day right so he deserves it he's always worked hard he's always worked to improve himself so i think he really deserves it and i'm really happy for him
2: as are we it's crazy watching some of the matches he's had in ring of honor he's doing some more insane stunts than some of the young boys are doing
0: yeah he's you gotta be careful man <laughs> yeah. as quick as we used to when we're
1: old like this <laughs> right you um 2018 you kind of you yourself kind of had this resurgence. Uh, I I had watched you all over Facebook, telling stories on, on your personal Facebook page and everything. And two thousand nineteen, you know, at first you, you you there was no talk of coming back to the ring or anything like that. And in two thousand nineteen, you actually came back and uh, wrestled in Shikara. Uh, uh, what was that experience like for you to you know be back in a ring and?
0: It was fun. Um, I had to be very careful though, because, uh, a little further back in 2013, I actually went through a situation with my foot and I had to have my foot amputated. So my left foot, I don't have a left foot. So I, I wear a prosthetic leg mm-hmm. from the calf muscle down anyway. So I was wrestling with a fake leg and I mean more of a fake leg than like uh Kerry Von on had. He had half a foot, but, um, It was interesting, and it presented some issues. Uh, I'm dealing with something right now because of getting back in the ring. It kind of tore up my leg a little bit, and I had to have a surgery on it. But um, it was fun. Chikara was fun. I wrestled some other independents, but I kind of backed off of the in-ring stuff now just because of the issues I had medically. Um, But it's fun. It's always fun to get out in front of fans. It's fun to see the fans, do the autographs, do the conventions. Um, when I came back in 2018, it was a fluke, man. Uh, you know, I had, I had issues in 2013, man. I got, I don't know if we're going to talk about it or not, but I'm willing to, but I got arrested and I got felonies and all this crazy shit happened. So I just want to disappear. And I wasn't planning on ever coming back to the business in any way, shape or form. And this promoter, Scott Hensley in Tennessee, he stayed on me for two years to come do an appearance. And when I finally said yes, I went and did this appearance for him in Middle Tennessee. And uh, after that, a few people started hitting me up on Facebook and talking to me. So I started accepting friend requests and people started asking me questions about different times and different wrestlers and different matches. And I started answering questions. And then my answers became longer and longer. And then I started telling stories. And that's how it happened. And all of a sudden, it, it's, it's always funny to say this, but my Facebook blew up, of mm-hmm. all things. Like, I always tell people I'm over on Facebook. Wow, okay. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, I had, like, uh, I don't know, 100, 275 friends in 2018 before all this happened. And then literally within a couple months, I had 2500 And then a couple more months, it was full at 5000 just on my private page. And then I started a fan page. But it's been fun. I'm enjoying it this time. I'm having fun. There's no expectations. I'm not trying to make some big comeback and, you know, get back in the ring or be an office worker or be an agent. I'm not trying to do none of that. I'm just having fun. I'm interacting with the fans, having a good time. Being myself, being a goof, and they seem to be enjoying it. So we're going to continue doing
1: it. Yeah, and at the time, I was actually one of those fans uh, that joined in somewhere around the 25 to 5,000 mark. Um, And uh, aside from all the stories and stuff, you have a a phenomenal deal when it comes to merchandise Uh, a trash can lid, four photos, and I believe like two baseball cards. For a, a, an extremely affordable price for any fan of thirty dollars, uh, what I know you also have uh other t-shirts and stuff like too and one of my, my the favorite one is uh you with triple h up up in your arms with uh, you know life's a botch. how can fans get a hold of you to you know get merch?
0: It's all on Facebook man that's that's kind of where I'm doing everything right now, especially with that t-shirt you're talking about I'm kind of being careful because. You know, it's got that, that image from back in the WWF days. But um, I am doing it on Facebook. And, yes, it is a good deal. And, and people always ask me, man, how are you do such a good deal? It's important. It's not about necessarily making a ton of money. Uh, it is getting people interested in what you're doing. Uh, they're talking about you. They're buying their, your stuff. They're posting you. They're posting your stuff on, on online on social media. And uh, so when I start selling shirts, they go much better. Or when I start um, trying to hype my new podcast, which is coming up this Friday, July 10th, called Road to Recovery on my Facebook page, by the way. When you start hyping stuff like that, there's more people listening because you've been I try to be good to the fans because they've been good to me. And I, you know, I told you I enjoy the interaction with them. So, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it to me to do it this way and uh, send these things out. Uh, and it's a great deal, I know, but it pays off in the end because it gets more people involved in what I'm doing. So it's worth it. It's PR 101
1: man. yeah, absolutely and uh, we actually bought the the thirty dollar package there and we're excited for the <laughs> you know the photos and I, I I myself am really excited for the trash can lid. I'm excited for yes, that sir. part. There's a good
2: there's chance, there's a good chance he's going to hit me over the head with it. Maybe. I <laughs> dare you. I want you
1: to, and I want you to post it on my Facebook. I will. I will.
2: Uh, speaking of, you know, a lot of the stories that you share on Facebook, I know Lee had a couple questions about a particular cruise. Uh,
1: yes, yeah, so you, you you went on this uh, one cruise. It was you, Bret Hart, uh, Kurt Henning, the Bushwhackers. Uh, you, you posted a photo of it. And... Um, I, I know that some party favors were involved in this and that. Um, what was what was that experience like for you? You know, because it's it's not just a, a cruise for you guys. There's like a ton of people on there, like you know, fans alike.
0: Yeah, you got to interact with fans and stuff. It was I guess it was called the wrestle vessel. I think I think WCW had the Bruise cruise. We had the wrestle vessel. I think, or it might be the opposite. But anyway. This was right at the time after I did the job for Triple H, and I had a really shitty attitude. My hair was cut off. I was mad. And uh, I was getting out of shape because I quit working out. I was just pissed off at the world. And I got put on this appearance. It was a paid appearance. We got paid, like, I don't know, $3,000 to go on this cruise to the Bahamas. And um, I just remember I didn't care. Uh, I wasn't worried about any drug tests. I didn't give a shit. I was like, go ahead and drug test me and fire me for all I give a shit. And, of course, you know, Brett and Perfect, they didn't care. And, uh, yeah, right when we got on the boats, we all went to somebody's room and started smoking weed. And I'm going to tell you what, man, I guess I had not, you know, I was in the WWF. I had been drug tested so long I hadn't been smoking weed in years. Oh, no. I was stoned as hell. <laughs> and what happened is then these alarms start going off in the boat. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And uh, it turns out they were having this uh, drill where everybody had to put life jackets on and go out on the damn deck. And they had to count everybody. I said, I'm not leaving this fucking room. You're crazy. And uh, we didn't want to leave the room. And then finally, people kept coming and coming, the family members, and they got us to get out of there. So we went up. And we go walking out on the deck. And the sun is just beaming down. I'm sweating bullets. And as we walk out, and I turn around to go, man, this is bullshit. As I turn around, Perfect and Bret Hart disappeared. Oh. They were gone. They completely ditched oh, me. No. So I'm standing there and I always say I look like Tommy Boy when he was on the airplane with the little with the little this the uh the, the safety vest the, thing around yeah. his neck. Yeah. This thing didn't even fit me. I looked like an idiot. I was sweating bullets, <laughs> I was high as hell. <laughs> And all these fans are going, hey, Duke, we're big fans. I'm going, oh, shit.
2: Please get away from me.
0: (laughs) I'm losing it. I was trying to be nice. And I had to stand there and just deal with it. And finally, they cut us loose. And I was drenched from head to toe in sweat. And I went back to the bar and found those two just sitting there drinking like pina coladas or some bullshit, laughing their asses off. And I said, you sons of bitches. But, yeah, that was an interesting cruise, man. Uh, yeah, the wrestle vessel. Like I said, I didn't give a shit, so I was willing to do whatever. So we uh, definitely had party favors. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Um, and I know you talk um, a lot about, you know, your drug use and stuff. And I've read a, a lot about it. And especially, like, with WrestleMania uh, 17 with the, the gimmick Battle Royal. Uh, you talk that you primarily stayed away from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and stuff like that, but you did bring up that me and Gene and, and Bobby the Brain Heenan were really, really nice uh, to you. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about the interaction with those two, uh, especially now that they're, they're not here anymore? Um, they were two of my favorites.
0: Yeah, they were really nice. Uh, we rode on the bus. There was like this shuttle that took us over to the building from the hotel, and I just happened to be on the, on the shuttle with them, And we rode over, and they were just, they couldn't have been nicer and more gracious to me. Somebody they probably didn't even know. I mean, they acted like they knew me. They called me Duke and all this stuff. And I was, like, totally marking out. Because, you know, when I was coming up through the ranks, and even when I was younger, those were the guys, man. Mm -hmm. I was watching them on TV when I was a fan, and they were so nice to me, man. And I felt so out of place with all the shit that I was going through i was having difficulty with drugs and all this stuff to the point like you said where i was trying to avoid people and they made me kind of feel so welcome and they made me feel part of you know uh and in that situation and i've always appreciated that and i got to tell me gene that a couple of times because we did conventions together before he passed away um and i always 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 loved and respected both of those guys and uh yeah yeah great great quality individual
2: wonderful um you know i i i think i speak for the whole wrestling universe when we say you know those two among the many legends are two the most missed you know two of the greatest speakers this business has ever seen um kind of touching back on those darker times that you had I, i i remember reading up that it kind of stemmed from ankle injuries originally that you had during your rivalry with Triple H that led up to the, the foot issue and everything from there on out. Can you touch on that a little bit?
0: Well, that part of it, yes, it, that was the relapse in 2009. That came from a foot injury that I, I was, when I wrestled Triple H, during that period in the World Wrestling Federation, I was wrestling with high-tech magnum boots. They're not even wrestling boots. They're like, They're like tactical combat boots, Ooh. and they're really loose, and they don't fit well. And my ankles got twisted a lot mm-hmm. a lot and i didn't even realize how bad it was but later in life um my left foot which is the one that became i uh, had to get eventually get amputated uh i had the foot problem and my foot started falling apart i don't know if you've ever seen marty Janetti's foot but well, my mm-hmm. foot looked just like it It collapsed to the side and turned and uh i started using i started taking pills again um, i had been through rehab once before that in 2003 the original drug problem started in wrestling. But okay. um, yeah, I got clean in 03 and then I relapsed in 2009 because of the foot and um, I thought I would be okay and I could handle taking some painkillers to get through the pain and it escalated really fast. And before too long, probably within a year, I became an IV drug user and I was shooting. I was buying any pills I could melt in a spoon and basically I was shooting them up, man. I was, I was a needle junkie and uh, at the same time, I was a freaking school teacher. So I'm trying to hold together this career and uh, living this insane life outside of there. It was like Dr. Checkle, Mr. Hyde. And um, it all came crashing down basically because I was running around with a lot of people I shouldn't have been buying and selling pills out there. Uh, I would get pills from the doctor that I could not shoot up. And I would sell them to get money or get pills that I could shoot up. And when I sold some to somebody that got busted and got, and was, uh, setting people up for the police one of my former drug dealers he started setting people up and I got set up and that was it
2: right
0: and they came and arrested actually it's funny during that same time is when I got my foot amputated and they came about a month after they let me kinda heal for a little while (laughs) and then they had a sealed indictment from the grand jury and they came and picked me up at the house and that was the day everything ended you know I lost the teaching career and lost everything again The first time I lost everything was before 03, but I didn't get arrested. This time I really lost everything. Um, And I knew it was over. I knew I had to go get help to get physically clean. But once I was physically clean, I was willing to do everything I had to do to stay clean, which I still do to this day. I, I go to meetings. I work with other people. I work for a drug court program, which I actually went through as part of my plea deal. Now I work for the drug court, and I work with people every day that are going through the same stuff, and that helps keep me clean. But like I said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes now, and that's kind of how that all came about, man. It was was just crazy, man. It was a crazy time in my life, and uh, it was pain that got me. I always tell people addiction is waiting for a weakness to take over again and make you relapse, and I thought I was strong after 2003. I was like, no way. I'm not going to fall back in it physical pain got me Mm -hmm. it made me weak so i had to kind of build up that wall of the castle now and keep it you know i gotta keep in mind you know i go through a lot of pain now every day but i can't take painkillers for it i can't do anything anything like that no drugs no alcohol no nothing i can't do it i've learned that lesson
2: right i've actually i've actually been through a similar situation my my father himself had some some somewhat issues like that, and he about a year and a half ago had to have surgery to have some, some bone chips removed out of his foot. They tried offering painkillers, and he said, "I'm not taking a single thing." He goes, "I'd rather deal with the pain than you know go back to that." Um, but it's you know it's it's such an inspiration to see how you're doing now and that you're reaching out to help people because we've seen too many guys from specifically your generation and the ones right below that that have unfortunately caped to that. Uh, do you have anything? you could say to any of the boys now that are in the business if they are going through a similar situation like that?
0: Well, if it's on the front end, don't take drugs. Don't get wrapped up in that shit. Don't become dependent on drugs. And if you're already wrapped up in it and it's starting to feel hopeless, man, suck up your pride and ask for help. It, it's Sometimes it's very difficult to do, to really get help and to really change we have to surrender mm-hmm. to the fact that we have no f- control over this shit um, and that can be a very hard thing to do for a big tough strong man or, or even a woman mm-hmm. you know we have pride and uh, we think we can handle anything well for some of us we cannot handle addiction on our own and uh, if, if it feels like it's getting out of control and you feel hopeless you need to ask for help because once you ask for help and you start getting help this enormous weight is lifted off your shoulders and all of, all of a sudden you realize you can freaking live life again man you can have your life back but you gotta ask for help that is my biggest piece of advice
1: all right um dude how long have you been sober now
0: well, it is going on seven years. It will be this coming October the second. Will be seven years clean,
2: man. That's amazing. Straight hey,
1: up. congratulations yeah. on that. Um, yeah. Uh, moving away from from all of that and uh, really yeah. inspirational stuff with 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 all of it. Uh, I want to just ask this one last question when it comes to when it comes to wrestling. Is there any reason why there's never been a, a Duke? action figure through wwe whether it was the hasbro line the classics or like now the new line is the elite figures
0: well i can speak for back in the day when i was there there really wasn't action figures i think i just i just missed a lot of things and that was one of the things i missed um when i was there there was only a few top guys that had any merchandise and it was basically like little teddy bears and t-shirts in the in the wwf magazine that was it there really wasn't a lot they had some merchandise but most of us didn't have merchandise and uh there really wasn't even video games yet that was a new thing just starting video games just coming over the horizon action figures you know maybe they had some back in the hogan days but they you know they squashed a lot of that stuff because they didn't have the money to invest in it there was just no money in that company for a while so that's why it didn't happen then that's why there was never any duke the dumpster figures made back then and now i just haven't had any any relationship with with the company in such a long time i mean i I don't have heat with them Mm -hmm. per se i mean i don't know if bruce pritchard hates me or not he made an interesting comment about me on his podcast the other day which i thought was kind of a slight or an underhanded backhanded compliment he said that I was I was too nice for the wrestling business and I had no business being in the wrestling business and he didn't see it like in a vindictive way but it was just interesting but I don't know I don't think I got heat with anybody I mean I've told a lot of stories about some people who are currently there and some people who aren't there but I haven't I haven't lied about anything I haven't totally thrown people under the bus I mean, I throw myself under the bus a lot more than anybody else because I'm the one that looks like an idiot so much of the time. But I don't care because it's funny, and I can laugh at myself now. And it's entertaining to the fans, so I share this stuff. So, but I don't have a relationship with the WWE really that much right now, but they're starting to put me back like on WWE.com stuff, I think, and mm-hmm. that's always a good sign. So, you never know. Maybe they'll come out with an old classic freaking elite figure of Duke the Dumpster. There's a lot of people making their own, you know, the fans that make the customs and stuff, which I always enjoy. But, man, I'd love to have a real-deal authentic action figure, man. That would be so cool. So, who knows? We'll see. Hopefully. Maybe maybe we'll touch base with the company one day, and maybe they'll give me an action figure. I yeah. know I ain't getting in the Hall of Fame, but maybe I'll get an action figure.
1: Uh, yeah cuz one thing I've seen is uh my friend Josh Blevins makes some uh pretty cool magnets and there's a uh, couple of Duke magnets around that I saw
0: you get you know, order a bunch from him actually. Those are really cool. Those are really cool.
1: Yeah, they look like the uh the Hasbro the ha- they look like the Hasbro toys here that are chilling at my bar. Uh they yeah, look they he look does like a the... really good job. He does. Yeah.
2: Um now now speaking of, you know, them bringing you up a little bit on the website outside of this whole situation we're all going through right now in the world if they got back to regular shows you know you see every now and then they bring back you know people from all sorts of generations would you ever be open to any sort of appearance on wwe oh, television
0: hell yeah of course i would absolutely awesome i mean that would just help me and the stuff that i'm doing here you know right. on the side but it would also just be really cool. Could kind of be on their TV uh, one more time. It would be really cool. And um, like I said, man, I don't have heat with anybody that's there. Um, I always have tried to get along with everybody. I still do try to get along with everybody. Um, yeah, I tell some funny stories and all that stuff. But man, I'd love to be on their TV. That would be so cool.
1: Yeah, I know, um, you know we're, we're going through this uh, COVID-19 pandemic and everything. I know you're scheduled in September... Um, I believe it's in Connecticut for um, a, a a meet and greet thing a convention there I, fortunately I don't remember the name of it off the top of my head but um, the,
0: rest, the wrestling classic yes. convention yes. it's in Hartford, Connecticut at the Doubletree Hotel Yeah, I'm there with Connor Promotions and uh, I, I'm there with some really cool people uh, Brian Cage the Godfather uh, uh, gosh what's her name, Jordan Grace
2: oh yeah Yeah.
0: Of her, man. She's doing some great things right now. I know she's got a a fiance and all, but I don't care about
2: you. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I don't think half the internet cares either. Yeah. Well,
1: hey. um, But
0: yeah, I've heard a lot of cool people. And uh, Matt Connor from Connor Promotions, I've done a lot of things with him. So it's going to be a really cool convention. Uh, And yeah, it'll be September the 19th. And then September the 20th, with the same people, we will be at the Foxwood Resort over there. Somewhere, I
2: can't remember where it is, but it's over there
0: too. Right. Somewhere, yeah, we're, yeah, we're Fox work, uh, yeah, with Connor
2: Promotion. Well, we're right up in New York, so who knows? Maybe we'll see you there. I'm already going, right. no,
1: actually. No. Oh, okay. I'm, well. ar- I'm already going. I'm um, friends with a couple of the promoters that are actually bringing people in, and Connor Promotions is actually one of them. Um, so I'm excited to be, I'm excited for that. And, uh, guys, July 10th, your, your new podcast, Road to Recovery. Make sure you Correct. tune in on Facebook. Uh, Duke, this has been a real honor to speak with you today and, and, and do this. Uh, you know We hope to have you back and maybe even do something uh, September 19th at, at the uh, Wrestling Classic with you.
0: That would be great. and uh, Guys, I really appreciate you having me on the show, man. It's been a blast. Awesome.
1: Well, we appreciate it. We hope you have a good rest of your 4th of July. And uh, fans, this episode will be out Monday, July 6th. Make sure you tune in. Facebook, Perched on the Top Rope. Duke, it was fun. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Have have a good one. You too. Take care.